Warning. Please note, throughout this episode, we will be discussing and presenting video games that have depicted scenes of violence, suicide, and homicide. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Noon Gaming Podcast. I'm Lee Mark, the VP of Growth at Hacker Noon, and I'm joined today by two of our video game blogging fellows, Nicholas and Jack. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Today, we are talking about the times we think video games may have crossed the line and our takes on each of those games. Today, we'll start with Jack. So Jack, when did you think video games have ever crossed the line? So video games crossed the line about a few years ago in 2017, uh, when I first jumped on and started playing Battlefront 2. Um, it was a long anticipated game. I played the first Battlefront. Um, and obviously with EA, they have connotations of trying to take your money. Um, but with Battlefront 2, you know, Battlefront 1 was a success. There wasn't a lot of content with it, but I thought to myself, well, Battlefront 2 is going to be, you know, pretty okay. What EA decided to do in the actual game itself is they decided to introduce um, a load of loot boxes. And as we all know, that's randomized uh, perks and other in-game items that appear in the loot boxes. And it's complete random by random chance that you get them. Um, Within these boxes, they have what's called star cards in Battlefront 2. And the star cards allow you to progress throughout the game, level up your characters, um, upgrade your character's weapons. Um, for example, get a, a higher level lightsaber, whatever that may be. But the problem what happened was, was they introduced these loot boxes, but they also made it kind of pay to win. So you'd have it whereby people would pay actual money to buy the loot boxes, but because the grind in the actual game itself for in-game currency was too high, people were enticed to actually pay money. So you had this progression system, which basically tried to make people spend money on the loot boxes themselves. And so then you had a load of people complaining, the fans, the critics complained about it. And EA didn't take this away. It just stood by their argument as people were kind of spending more and more money. And when this main progression system of trying to take people's money away from them through loot boxes became a thing, it actually ended up dividing the fan base because then you had these pay-to-win people who could afford it. And then you had these other people obviously couldn't afford it, which is fair enough. And you had that toxicity because the matchmaking was off. You had the people with the high-level gear who could afford yeah. it versus the people with the low-level gear. Um, and so... It created that terrible fan base while at the same time um, it was just diving into people's pockets. So Got personally, it. I thought that crossed the line. Um, and uh, in terms of, of, of trying to uh, monetize their game to kind of reach into your pocket and take the money when you didn't really necessarily need to do that because yeah. there's other ways of progression. And that was the main pillar of progression, which was loot boxes. And that crossed the, the line for me. So, um, monetarily advised, you know, what, uh, you said that EA stuck by their argument. What was their argument uh, for loot boxes? They basically said that, um, the loot boxes are fine in the game and that because in terms of the player progression, if you're good at the game itself, um, you're more likely to earn the credits in game and you won't need to spend your money on these loot boxes. So they were justifying it on the base of skill, even though that's not the case at all. Now it's all about okay. it's about other things. How much how much time you put into the game, whatever it is, um, and also their servers, which were 
not good at matchmaking. So, and how does that, that system how does that system differ from the battle pass on Warzone or the battle pass on Fortnite, for example? Um, the difference is is, is that um, instead of like cosmetic skins, it's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But instead of like cosmetic skins, it's more kind of just upgrades and progression. Because with Warzone, you could buy a, a gun or blueprint, but it's not really going to elevate you mm-hmm. to a whole new level. It, mm-hmm. it might be a cosmetic skin, but it's not really going to make you better. Yeah. With Battlefront, you would buy these star cards in these loot boxes and it would make your character better at the game because you would upgrade, say, your force ability. And that's because that progression is just so different. And it. it definitely crossed the line. I know, like, some people cross the line would be a ton of violence in a game. But for me, it was, you know, money's hard to come by sometimes. And doing that to myself and my friends was you know, not great. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, uh, Nicholas? Do you agree uh, or disagree with what EA did? Well, the problem is... I play a lot of gacha games, which, um, which is that, but worse. Yeah. Like a lot worse. Um, I, I made the mistake of falling into Fake Grand Order, which has some of the harshest rates of all the gacha games. And honestly, I just played that game without paying any money. But that's only acceptable because I didn't pay for Fate either. It was a free game. I could just log in and like waste all my time and just lose my time and not my money. So. I was okay with that, but when I have to pay $60 for a game and then progress through loot boxes, I don't really, I don't think that's all right. Although I did hear that uh, Battlefront 2 had its loot box system changed in 2018. They did, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, do, you, do you know what the changes were? Because I I refunded it in like well, last year. They actually removed the microtransactions. <laughs> they just oh. got rid of them because they oh, were that unpopular. Yeah. Damn. Got it. But so at the time, it was very bad, you know, it was not good. Yeah, I remember so, uh, they had the most downvoted comment on Reddit history when they that's had it. some, some, some <laughs> stupid thing. I didn't like that. So. Yeah. so they completely removed the microtransaction. So I guess they, they rectified the situation in a way. They did, but it took a while. Mm-hmm. It took about a year. Also, they promised when a game was released that... Um, there, there, the DLC that would be released to the game would be free um, mm. and that there would only be a few microtransactions in the game itself and that was not the case cool. so you know it's about honesty there as well it's like EA's a big you know publisher and it, it's it's all about honesty and you know respecting your fans because if and, and I know they didn't deliberately try and turn the fan base against you know themselves but at the same time like you when you're implementing these strategies, you should have a fair idea of what it's going to do to your player base. You know, honestly, sometimes I think EA is trying to piss off their fans. <laughs> I've never seen someone do such a good job at that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I think like in, from a business perspective, if that happened in 2017, I think that was also around when Fortnite was getting big. I'm pretty sure 2017 mm-hmm. is when Fortnite was getting big. And Fortnite, yeah. when it was in its heyday, was a great example of how microtransactions could work, make your company like a crap load of money and not piss people off. Like uh, I was in the community, like pretty big in the community and people's um, feelings towards the battle pass were really positive. It was never like, oh, I got to buy another battle pass. People were excited to buy another battle pass, which was like really, really interesting to me. 
And I think like a year or a year and a half after Fortnite uh, got big, there was this article that came out that said at that point, the average Fortnite player spent about $89 on the game, which is like buying a game at full price anyways. So it was, it was pretty interesting to see like the difference between EA, a company that completely failed at microtransactions and Epic Games and how they just kind of killed it when they were in their prime, I guess. Yeah, but I'm thinking of how Bungie tried to do the same with their own battle pass system and it's not really well received because it's it's a lot of grinding on top of buying the expansion for Destiny 2. Then you have to buy the battle pass and then you need to grind to get all the content of the battle pass, which can take hours and hours. And it it's just like, uh, yeah, I, I think the implementation for Destiny wasn't so great because of how they decided to sunset weapons. Or basically, uh, you, you earn some weapon. They had the system where you'd earn weapons through the through gameplay and they'll just remove it at the end of the season which didn't go so well and being asked to pay to get the newer weapons didn't really appeal to the community so i think so that's was that implemented while the game was still paid you had to pay for it was it free to play then the dlc the battle pass system if i remember right did come after they uh mm. they went free to play but still had paid expansions. So you would be paying twice. You're basically paying for the expansion and then a sub, which is something like an MMO does, but in Destiny. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Well, that's our take on EA. So Nicholas, what, what time did you think video games ever crossed the line? What did you prepare for us today? Well, I have uh, two examples. Uh, the first is a bit of a small one that not many people have heard of. Uh, it came when I couldn't play any normal games and got stuck on Newgrounds as a 10-year-old playing Flash games. And I came across this thing called Nini's Interactive Suicide, which uh, was perhaps something I didn't really appreciate when I was a child. It's a very simple point-and-click game that centers around a middle schooler realizing she has herpes and needs to kill herself before her parents find out. And it was pretty deranged it would be things like uh inducing lactose intolerance like she she remembers she's lactose intolerant drinks the entire carton of milk and vomits her blood until she dies she would hang herself on a fan and i'll spin her around and decapitate her or she even whip out a bible pray to god and god would quite literally smite her which uh, it's it's honestly something you'll never need to play i don't think anyone wants to play it but it's it's just a bit deranged. It was it, it crossed a line in that it was really accessible, and I at least one child played it, me, which yeah, it's just not really acceptable content. And another thing that the other example I was thinking of that's a bit more relevant is hatred. The very sorry, uh, if you don't mind, I just want to pause you there, Jack. Do yeah. you know what Newgrounds.com is? No, I don't know what that so, is. No. Maybe this wasn't ah. an Ameri a UK thing then, because uh, I, I was I grew up in Canada, and Newgrounds is this website that where anybody can post gifs, uh, images, short animation videos, or games. I think the main uh, user base was games, so this wasn't like developers making games. This was just like everyday people in their house most of the time. So there was a crap load of deranged, weird ass stuff on Newgrounds, and and like uh, Nicholas is describing this as if it's crazy, but if you were like active on Newgrounds at the time, this kind of content was pretty normal, right? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm seeing it from an outside point of view. Uh, if you are faint of heart, do not go to Newgrounds. It is. <laughs> I'm uh, not going. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, there's there's some stuff I I would like to describe, but I don't think it's appropriate for YouTube. Yeah, and kind of scarred me for life. Things you'd rather unsee, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I th- that was also at a time where. I, I believe the internet was fairly new, like in terms of the entire history of it. So things like parental control, they weren't even a thing back then. Like that wasn't really possible. Parental control was like your parents saying, don't go on bad stuff. And that was the control. <laughs> it's just your parents asking you not to, you know? Yeah. You used to have like multiple emails. So it could fake being an adult and, uh, <laughs> and get on all these websites. And I, I basically attempted to commit credit card fraud several times. <laughs> to play free games yeah. never succeeded and i hope i passed the statute of limitations but yeah <laughs> back then the internet was a, a crazy place that you could just do anything in mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. not so much got it got it and what was the uh, other game you uh brought up uh the other game was uh, hatred it's i i'm sure like some people who've been who've been around video games for a while would remember like back in 2015 there are a few controversies in the gaming industry around that time, but Hatred was one that jumped up. The general premise of that game was that you play as this man called the antagonist who is tired of the world and decides to go on a killing spree, which is also the entire plot of the game. It goes from killing civilians in one place to another place to finally detonating a nuclear reactor and killing a bunch of civilians. And honestly, there are worse things to do. That, that, we can do worse things in video games, but I think what makes it pretty bad is one that it doesn't really try to dress up what it does. It doesn't have any justification for for doing what it does. Like if you look at other very popular ultra-violent games like Doom or Wolfenstein, it in Doom you're killing demons, they're not people. And in Wolfenstein you're killing Nazis who are basically history's villains. It's you don't really feel bad for like ripping the arm off and beating them to death with it or stabbing them with a broken pipe. Uh, in, in other instances, like say Hotline Miami, uh, it's also ultra violent, but you're fighting mobsters and it doesn't really, like, it's not really violence for the sake of violence. It's like there's a score system and, and it really ties into the game mechanics that the violence creates a sort of rhythm and creativity to the game that really enhances it. Or another, like, really messed up game I can think of is Postal, where you can. It's, I can't even describe it. It's just weird. Yeah, but the fact that it is so weird makes, I think, stops it from crossing the line. Hatred just wants to cross the line. It wants to be the edgiest game around. And unfortunately, it came at a time when there were a lot of mass shootings in the US and video games were once again being drawn back into like being blamed as the cause of all the violence. And, and well, you, you, I'm sure we've all heard those arguments. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So in what way do you believe hatred crossed the line, whereas Call of Duty, and like a, an also violent game, doesn't cross the line? What's the difference? Well, the, the difference lies in the, in the narrative. The hatred's just... Like, it's a school shooter's fantasy, really. Mm-hmm. Doesn't like society and decides to take a gun to destroy as much of society as he can before he himself dies. That's, that's it. If, like... Uh, in most other games, they, they try to offer a stronger justification or at least paint the act as evil Got it. while still letting you partake in it. I'll uh, play devil's advocate then and pose a question to both of you. Why is it okay then for films to depict a school shooting, but not games? Why is it that games are crossing the line, but nobody's going to get pissed off when a TV show does it or when a movie does it? I guess it's because you're in control of the character itself. 
you know, and it's it's the game's forcing actions on you that perhaps you don't want to um, partake in. Uh, when you're watching something, you know, you're not actually controlling the characters on screen. So I, I guess that morality issue, and like Nicholas was saying, you know, it's being incredibly violent, I'm guessing, for obviously the sake of the narrative or whatever it is, and killing civilians, which inherently is, is human, that that's obviously a, t- a terrible thing. Um, and uh, kind of like dives into that morality issue. And, and if you're controlling the characters themselves, um, it's it's putting um, uh, actions onto you in a, perhaps a way you don't want to, to do them. See, do, do you think the same way, Nicholas, or do you have a different idea about it? Well, if... I don't believe that. But if I had to come up with a reason, I'll take the same reason as Jack. It's just that it's interactive. Although mm-hmm. it's, I, I wouldn't really agree with any of that. Like uh, when you say that, do you mean that films are just as accountable for crossing the line as games? I think it's more like games are just are the same level of not as accountable as film. I see. I yeah. see. It's a bit the other way around. Okay. I see. I'll pose another question then, because I always, I'm an advocate for games as an art form. And I think 50 years from now, they'll be just as respected as film, if not more. So like when, when, when a filmmaker might do it, they might say something like, oh, I wanted to, like, this is a work of art. I wanted to portray like um, the violence that would happen in a school shooting. And I, and I mean it as like um, a reflection of what was happening in society. If that developer of hatred were to say that, that like, I'm not condoning violence. I just wanted to show what was happening in society at the time through video game form rather than through a film or through TV. Would that be acceptable? Or is it like, do you just think that's a weak excuse? I think in hatred's case, it's a very weak excuse. It because it, it doesn't really explore the psyche of the antagonist, or or anything an art form would do. It's just violence for the sake of violence in yeah. a very uninteresting way. I see. I see. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, do you think it was violence just for the sake of violence? You would agree it would be. I, I would agree. <laughs> Although yeah. I don't think that's inherently bad either, because Doom is violence for the sake of violence. But I think mm-hmm. it's a fantastic shooter because it forces. In a way, it forces you to be as violent as possible. And that's the challenge yeah. of the game. And that's what makes it so engaging. It's not easy to be as violent as the game wants you to be. Whereas mm-hmm. hatred is not nearly as complicated. It's practically a point and click. It's a top-down shooter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see, I see. Got it. So I think uh, I brought up... I have similar topics today that easily tie into what we've just been talking about. One of them that I want to bring up, I often talk about on Hacker Noon, so I think Jack and Nicholas are sick of it by now, but it's the No Russian Mission in Call of Duty. I'm sure everyone's heard of that. If not, just YouTube it and you'll see it. But the basic premise is uh, during that part of the game, you're playing an undercover agent that finds his way into a Russian uh, terrorist cell. And uh, in that mission, the group is arriving at a public airport and just mowing down all of the like innocent civilians at this airport. And you're playing this agent that obviously he doesn't want to do that, but in the sense of what he's, he can't blow his cover, you as the player only have the option to shoot the innocent civilians with the terrorists or just don't do anything 
and walk around until that level is over. If you do try to play the hero and uh, shoot the terrorists, it'll be an instant game over. So it was a really, really interesting thing that Call of Duty did. And uh, I talked to one of the developers at Skydance about this like yesterday, actually, and it was about agency. And as Jack said, the difference with the video games is you give the player agency. And I think a lot of the art in video games is actually what you do with that agency. So the fact that the idea of video games is you're supposed to be able to do what you want, but Call of Duty puts you in this specific position where hopefully 99% of people wouldn't want to do that, but they forced you to do that. I thought it was really impactful. And actually, in my opinion, I don't think that mission crossed the line. I actually think it showed the power of video games and how they can create an emotion that film can't. But uh, obviously, if you've seen the news, I think the majority of people thought that game, that mission crossed the line. And that mission is actually banned in several countries. Um, if you have the game in a certain country, that mission is just not playable. You have to skip it. What do you two think about that specific mission? Do you think they crossed the line then? Go ahead, Nicholas. We'll go with uh, you first. Sure. I, I don't think it crossed the line for a narrative reason. Because it it's uh, later on in the game, you have to defend the United States in a very patriotic Hollywood style. And normally, when, when I first played it, I thought I sort of rolled my eyes at something and went, oh, it's just American propaganda again. Mm. But thinking back to No Russian, I think it's pretty interesting because can I think after doing No Russian, I think no one can really blame the Russians for wanting to invade the US and blowing up the Washington Monument, torching the White House, killing like rampaging through the suburbs and you know taking over that burger shop. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like, it, it sort of justifies everything the Russians do in that game. In that game, not in yeah. real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bombing hospitals in Syria is a different matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What but do you yeah. think, Jack? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think it crossed the line. Like Nicholas said, from a narrative standpoint, um, it does kind of play into that narrative, which is throughout the game. Um, and then, as you said, Lee Mark, um, it, in just normal Call of Duty and Warzone, you're killing people anyway, and just everyday uh, scenarios on the actual team deathmatch or Warzone, whatever it might be. Of course, it is civilians in an airport mm-hmm. um, in the game itself, but it does play into that narrative. And it, you can make the argument that perhaps it is violence for violence' sake, but I think it was put in there to create that emotive, um, that create emotion inside you and to make you feel, uh, no, and, and, and um, what's the word? Like helpless, uh, and, like make you feel helpless yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And tied to the game from an emotive you know, standpoint. Um, Got it. And I do think, you know, from an artist's perspective, it should be left in there and, and it's, 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 it's okay. But, if I was to develop a game, personally, I wouldn't put that in there because I feel like it is too controversial, and they could have done a, they could have went about a different way of kind of portraying this. I understand that they want to obviously um, uh, yeah. get you to play it into the game, but it's it's. I think they could have done it a better way, personally. But you know, I'm not against it. Got it. Yeah. I'll 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 be honest. I think. Call of Duty is the wrong franchise to try that sort of thing in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure. Any other closing thoughts, guys, about uh, this in general? Any of the games we spoke about today? 
Um, I think that if a game is to touch on something that is controversial, it has to be done in a way that raises, raises awareness in a positive way. Um, and it's not just for the sake of just putting it in there because someone wants to. Um, and all for violence, for violence' sake. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to add something to the medium, especially as you said, the video game, uh, the video games themselves are becoming more mainstream, just like film and TV, and they're connecting with more people than ever and becoming more popular. And as that happens, every game itself needs to put in place um, a way in which. If it is to tackle issues, they do it in a transparent, open way and not just put it in there for for anyone's sake because it can offend people. And, yeah, I think that's my take from that. Yeah. I, I think, actually, that violence for violence sake is acceptable as long as it's, it's fun. As deranged as that sounds, uh, Doom... I, th- I think I'm, I'm thinking to Doom right now, where it is actually just violence for violence sake. You kill and dismember demons in some really interesting ways. It's covered in blood. It's fast-paced, but it's it is because it's violent that, or rather, it's because it's violent that it can be so fun. It's 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 insanity that makes it fun, and oh, yeah, and that's yeah. I think I think that works. Also, there's a lot of games where the power fantasy is the core part of the experience, like Destiny or Warframe, where it's about being crazy powerful and it's about being it's about being able to be violent and overpower the enemies easily. That makes it as enjoyable as it is. So it doesn't need to raise awareness as much as it needs to let you have fun. Yeah. And in some games like Hatred, it doesn't. It's not even that fun. It's not that see, interesting. Yeah. I think like uh, the final thing I'd want to say is these kind of conversations, I believe, will have to happen more often now that VR is becoming mainstream, because I do think that the level of agency greatly should decide what is acceptable in a game. Because um, one of the most cool yet shocking moments for me was when I played Saints and Sinners Walking Dead the first time in VR. And there's a huge difference from pressing square to shoot somebody on your PS4 joystick to pretending you're holding a knife and feeling the grip because of the controller and then actually doing the motion required to kill somebody in real life and then feeling the vibration hit when your knife hits in the game. It was like a little bit too surreal for me and I thought, oh wow, this is like a really very different experience than doing these things in a zombie shooter game with a DualShock controller. And I think like when VR becomes more and more mainstream, we might see more and more problems like this or more and more questions that have to be answered and asked by game developers and by gamers in general. But yeah, thanks everyone for listening up to this point if you have. Sorry if we've rambled. And thanks definitely to Jack and Nicholas for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for watching another Hacker Noon podcast. Please be sure to like the video, drop your comments below, and follow us on Twitter at Hacker Noon for future tech and gaming related articles. Lastly, be sure to hit that bell icon to be notified every time we upload a new video. Thanks and see you next time.